Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. Again, uh, my name is John Shubb, and I am happy to be uh, preaching this morning. Uh, we're continuing in the book of James, uh, James four thirteen to seventeen. Uh, so, I, if you kind of know my story or my backstory, I grew up in, kind of in the country in uh, South Central Pennsylvania, kind of in a in a not super populated area. And so, I think for me, cities will always stress me out a little bit because they're just not something I was used to for a good chunk of my time. And when I say city, I mean a very clogged and congested city like New York or Chicago, where you look up and like all you see are skyscrapers. Um, I am not a very claustrophobic person. You could kind of like throw me in the trunk of your car and I'd be fine with that. But if I'm walking around a city and all I see are skyscrapers, that really starts to get me kind of anxious. Um, and I love Phoenix because, like, even though there's millions of people that live here, there's really only a few blocks uh, downtown uh, that feel like a big city. Everything else is spread out. I, I worked downtown for five and a half years, and a few, like, whenever I'd go out and get lunch or something like that, I was, I was okay with it. I'm like, hey, like, this is a little stressful, but, like, two blocks that way is just, it's, like, normal to me. So, um, so I like that about uh, Phoenix. Uh, I lived north of Boston for 14 years prior to uh, moving out here, and Boston has that very big city claustrophobic uh, uh, feel. Um, and I think part of the reason is uh, they didn't plan Boston out. It was it's been there for hundreds of years. They had all these houses and like horses and stuff, and then suddenly it just became like this big city all smushed together. And when you build a city prior to the invention of the car, you're setting yourself up for a huge uh, pain down the road. Suddenly cars are a thing and like, oh, we didn't plan ahead for that. And it's just kind of miserable. Um, and traffic and congestion were just absolutely terrible in the city. And in the 1980s, they started to come up with this plan to fix some of the congestion uh, by building this massive uh, tunnel underground. Uh, this project became known as the Big Dig. Is anyone familiar with that? Have you guys heard of the Big Dig? Okay, se several hands. You, several people are shaking their heads. Um, even if you're not from Boston, may, uh, you may have heard of this thing uh, because it's it's uh, one of the most expensive highway projects ever who have uh, ever to come to fruition. It was this massive, massive undertaking. Um, the, the, they started planning in the 80s. They started actually like doing the project in the early 90s. And it was supposed to take about seven or so years and cost about $3 billion. You know? So we kind of had, you know, you plan these projects out, you have your estimates. Well, they ended up finishing it in 2007, about 10 years after they were supposed to, uh, after they were supposed to be done, and it ended up costing over $8 billion, and so $5 billion over the estimate. And so when you factor in inflation of what it was supposed to cost versus what it did cost, it was just like, oh man, we got in way over our heads with this one. And along the way, if you kind of like were following it or just kind of read about it, there were all kinds of problems along the way, all kinds of design flaws, bankruptcies, 
fraud cases, like arrests. Uh, someone died when part of the, 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 uh, the ceiling collapsed in a car, a woman died. It was just like a huge mess. And like, it's kind of funny to think like, that would actually make for an interesting movie, like building a tunnel through a city and like all the drama around it. It would make for an interesting movie. And so The Big Dig is a great example of like the hubris of man and like what we set out to do. And then like, folly when it doesn't happen our ways. Uh, we, we end up making these ba great boasts saying we can accomplish all this stuff, and sometimes we do, and then sometimes it blows up in our faces. And so we're gonna be talking about boasting today. We're gonna talk about humility and how that fits in with the rest of the message from James. Because when it comes to our decision-making process, it can become very troublesome when we expect things to go one way and then they end up going in a completely other direction. When that happens, that's very frustrating. Uh, it's, you know, it's obviously it's fantastic when something goes the way we planned. Uh, we study all night for the test and we ace it. We go in for the job interview. We practice it a hundred times in front of our spouse or our best friend, and then you know we we, we nail the interview and we get the job. Uh, those are wonderful moments in our lives, uh, but far too often that is not the case. Uh, we picture an event, but and what we envision with our minds is a far cry from reality. So we're going to talk about continue to talk about biblical wisdom, godly wisdom, and how it relates to us as humans and how we make decisions. And so I invite you to pray, and then we'll we'll jump into the text. So please pray with me right now. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful that uh, James wrote it down in his day, that it was preserved through the ages, that it has had truth uh, throughout time. And even in 2021, there's, there's uh, truth for us here and now. I, I would uh, pray that I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth this morning. If I say anything that's not of you, I pray that that would be forgotten, uh, but ultimately you'd be brought glory and honor and that we would learn to be better disciples of your son through this process. Amen. All right, so just so we're clear for this passage, um, this, this passage we're looking at this morning, it's actually not solely against making plans. Uh, this is not just a, like a blanket condemnation for like preparing for the future. Um, at face value, you read this, and that's what it may seem like about, like, like oh, we can't even like plan for the future. Because um, James says, like, your life is a mist, and then he, see, he attacks those who are saying they're going to go to a city and make a bunch of money and spend some time there. And if you were to kind of understand the passage at that, that level, you might come to the conclusion that, like, oh, man, planning, God doesn't want us to plan. Planning is a sin, and we should fully rely on God for everything and just take each moment as it comes. And if you take that to its extreme, like, conclusion, you, end, you would end up doing, like, not doing a lot of things that we all do. Uh, you wouldn't save up for retirement. Uh, that would be like, oh, you're not trusting God with your future, and it would be wrong to have a pension or a 401k or those kind of things. Uh, you wouldn't study for tests. You wouldn't prepare for job interviews. You wouldn't map out road trips. You wouldn't save up for a house or a car. You wouldn't take diapers with you when you take your kids to the grocery store. And we could, you know, go on with all these silly and extreme examples. And you're kind of laughing, so I, I, hopefully you, uh, you get the point that the message from James is not just an outright condemnation against planning. Um, that's not what this is about. Um, the Bible actually has a lot of positive things to say in regards to planning and having prudence about the future. Um, we see this come up a lot in the book of Proverbs in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, Solomon writes in Proverbs 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Proverbs 21, The plan of the diligent leads to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. 
These and many other uh, proverbs from Solomon point to wisdom in planning for the future because you can easily be ruined for lack of foresight. Um, there's actually a great section in our New Testaments in 1 Peter 3 that speaks about being prepared to give a proper response when people ask you about your faith. Uh, verse 15 of 1 Peter, he writes, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you uh, for the reason for the hope that you have. And so these are just a few passages that speak about the value in planning and being prepared for a variety of purposes. And I think part of what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit and to be like empowered by him is in our use of planning. Uh, pr proper planning is like how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. You know, if we were to attempt a massive building project here but have no funds to make that happen, to not get the permits and the zoning and all that kind of stuff, that would not be very wise. That's something that we have to plan for. That would be a good thing. Even in my preaching, uh, as much as I'd love to just get up here and speak to you about what's on my heart, um, that's not exactly what happens. I spend a good chunk of my time getting ready for the week. I, I have my manuscript. I, I spend a lot of time working on this thing. I kind of work through it. Um, these hours, they, they give me the time to get acclimated with the text, to study the passage for myself and what other people much smarter than myself have had to say kind of can prayerfully work through it. So I spend a lot of time getting ready for Sunday morning. And so scheduling and organizing and thinking about what we're doing with our lives is a very good thing. Uh, big biblical wisdom understands the value in planning and preparing, but it also knows that life happens. Uh, godly wisdom understands the value in having foresight with the who and the what and the when and the where and the how and the why of our futures, uh, but also knows that we don't always get what we want in life. Uh, there's that famous quip that's usually attributed to Woody Allen that says, uh, if you want to make God laugh, you know the end of that statement, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Uh, Saint Woody Allen is the one that said that. Uh, life has a funny way of, of not turning out how we think it will go. Most of us would like to know our futures and have everything perfectly planned out, so that, and we make a decent effort to achieve those goals, but we do what we can to make them a reality. But we also know we can't plan for everything. You know, we do plan for retirement, but the economy takes a nosedive. Uh, we do struggle our way through college to get that degree, but we enter a shaky and uncertain workforce. Uh, we strive to live healthy and productive lives, avoid the bad stuff, eat the good stuff, and then comes the accident or the disease uh, to throw that off. And that's just the human condition, that, that frustrating situation we all find ourselves in. We plan as we should, but we can't plan for everything. And we find ourselves in this ubiquitous, ubiquitous middle ground as the results of living in a world that has fallen. We live in this world that God created and it's beautiful, but it's just like not the way it's supposed to be. And we like look forward to that day when everything is made right again. You know, we're not God. We shouldn't delude ourselves into thinking we are. And I think that that's what this passage is about. You know, we've studied the, uh, the letter of James together, and we see this theme of wisdom come up again and again and again, and just different aspects to like, what does wisdom look like? We've talked about it from different angles. And wisdom isn't just having all this smart stuff to say, but it's about like living this lifestyle that helps to shape our character. Uh, wisdom without works is dead. Wisdom is knowing to put our pride down and not always be the center of the universe or think that God wants, to, wants the church to kind of rule from above with an iron fist. Oh, wisdom is also keeping our boasting in check 
which is, which is getting to the heart of what this passage is about, keep, keeping our boasting in check. And so this passage is about boasting, namely, we shouldn't be boasting. Uh, don't boast. Uh, this passage is about how we shouldn't speak with exaggeration and an excessive pride, especially about oneself and how what we're able to accomplish uh, on our own. Uh, this passage is about not speaking with excessive vanity. And so maybe some of our, uh, our frustrations would be lessened if we weren't so overly confident in our abilities. Uh, maybe one of the reasons we get so frustrated when things don't go our, our way relates back to the idea of pride. You know, we always want to be first. We want to be right. We want to be the center of the world. That's pride. And when that doesn't happen, it just kind of once again shows how limited we are, how finite we are. Uh, the, the first part of James 4 we looked at last week was about this idea of humility. We, we want to be first in all things, but we're called to be humble. We, and when we boast and we brag about our futures, I think that's pride taking on a, a verbal form. Uh, that's what James is addressing here, not, not addressing a healthy sense of planning for the future. Uh, what he's addressing is those in the audience who had this hubris about them. They were making all these ridiculous claims about what they were going to accomplish and with no sense that, like, eh, maybe you don't have it all figured out. They were assuming that, like, if they were, if they were going to do something and, and they said they were going to do it, it would, in fact, happen. They were assuming that they were in control, and if they wanted to do something, they could make it happen no matter what. And what is also telling about this passage is the example James gives of those who are making plans. In, in verse 13, he, uh, it's presented, the plan is presented of going to a city and making money. And I think James is like not so subtly calling them out in their plans, uh, as their plan seems solely about money and then like bragging about it and how they can do all this great stuff with their money. You know, making money, having a job, all of that stuff is good and fine. We all need to work to get by. But when you start to associate money, making money with the end-all, be-all goal of your life, then you start to miss the point a little bit. Uh, throughout the rest of this letter, James is calling his audience out on their lack of wisdom. We see that again and again, calling them out on their lack of wisdom and lack of caring about others and living for themselves solely. And so it makes sense to me that uh, with this example would tie in with those themes. Like, hey, making money is fine. You got to pay your bills. Do that. But that's not the sole purpose of life. That's not why we're here. You know, when you start to find your value in making money and like planning your future, like you, you, you put all of your like attention in like, this is life. And yet, oh man, life is a mist. You're here and then you're just gone. And so being grounded in wisdom and humility helps you understand like, oh, like, oof, keep this grounded. And so, again, this, this passage from James, it's very, it's very short, and it fits in with the rest of the letter. It's very intense for us. It's, we again read it, and we're like, oh, man, this is intense. We are just a mist, and we're just gone. You know, it's, it's calling us to have wisdom and humility, which is with how we understand our lives, what we do with those things, how we understand our time here, how we understand our money. It's, it's calling us to repent of the pride we have in our hubris and thinking that we're invisible. We think that we can uh, dig a tunnel through the center of Boston, and we can, but man, we're going to run into some problems along the way, and we need to be aware of that. And so when you boast and say you can do anything completely by your own volition, it's just, again, a dangerous path to, to be down when you're just like, I can do all this stuff on my own. I'm going to just make this kingdom for myself. Like, that's just a dangerous path to be on. 
And so there's, there's two aspects from this text that I want to focus on this morning, kind of like kind of break it down a little bit, kind of uh, bring it home in, in two different ways. And so first is this, that money is not the end all goal of all things in our life. Uh, money for the sake of money is not the ultimate purpose of our lives, nor should it be the ultimate pursuit. Um, as I've mentioned a few times, again, there's to be very clear, Nothing wrong with having money. I'm not saying go empty out your bank accounts. Like, I'm not saying that. Um, we got to pay our bills. You have to provide for your families. All of those things are very good. Keep doing those things. But one of the, I think that America has cultural sins that we kind of get caught up in. And one of the cultural sins of America is our desire just to keep going and to keep building and to keep going nonstop. We almost value that, like the the we value like being a workaholic and just going like crazy over our mental health and our taking care of ourselves and our own like spiritual well beings. And if we're making money solely for the sake of making money, we start ignoring our family. We never stop for anything like, and just even for our own well being. Like that is just that's not a healthy place to be. And yet, like our culture like lifts this up as like a God to be worshiped. Uh, we seem to value working ourselves into an early grave versus just like taking the time to rest versus taking time to enjoy life versus taking time to just like be aware of creation and just, just all that stuff. We just wanna go, 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 go. Uh, Edward Abbey, uh, this kind of like this very interesting author and environmentalist, he has a very interesting quote that I love where he says, growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. Growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. And that's kind of the, like, the hubris that like, many of us like, operate under. Uh, most businesses in the world, especially like very big global businesses, operate under this mantra of growth because that's what you gotta do. You gotta keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. And it's easy for us as individuals and as churches and believers to kind of like get caught up in that mindset and follow suit. And godly wisdom understands that money is a means to an end and understands that life's sole goal in life is not simply to accumulate. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus has this parable of the rich fool. Uh, Jesus is approached by someone who says like, hey, like, my brother and I are fighting over our, our, our estate. You gotta help like speak into this. And he's like, don't get me involved in, in your stuff. And he, he, he has this parable about a man who has a very good harvest one year. And rather than like giving his harvest away or like being responsible with it, he's like, you know, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna tear down my barn. And I'm gonna build an even bigger barn to store all my food. And just like, I can just sit on this food that I have. I've been blessed and I'm gonna sit on it and make it all mine. And this man is called into judgment because he ends up hoarding his wealth and is not generous towards God. He is not generous towards his neighbor. And James is basically saying here, like, your barn is big enough. Stop building bigger barns. Be in the habit of giving your stuff away. Be in the habit of giving your money away. Uh, be in the habit of uh, letting go of your stuff and your possessions. Just do it. Uh, if you can't remember the last time you've done that, like when's the last time I've just given money away to a person or a group or a cause who needs it? Like this week, do that. Just do it. Uh, if you don't have a regular habit or a rhythm of financially giving to things that, that you care about and that, you're love, that you love, this week, take some tangible steps to do that. Make that a priority, whatever that looks like. And if you're like, well, okay, okay yeah, like I, I'm not doing that. Where do I start? Like, 
give you an example. Like we're doing these disaster relief buckets here over the next few weeks. Like that's a great tangible thing. Like give some money to that. That helps like uh, victims across I think the country and world that have been uh, victims of natural disasters. And I think the more we're in the habit of giving our stuff away, letting go of our money, letting go of our possessions, the more it breaks down the idol of consumerism that weighs us all down. Uh, the more we let go of our stuff, the less control it has over us. And so I'm speaking kind of harshly here, so I want to address a couple points of nuance here. Um, I think it's important to address that uh, many of us go through different seasons of our lives. And we may be in a season at some point where we just need to work. We need to like, be very busy. We need to just get through this thing. You know, maybe we're trying to catch up on debt. Maybe a spouse lost their job. Maybe something that's causing us to work uh, more than usual. And, and, and that's okay. I think it's important to acknowledge that we go through different times, different seasons of life. And if, if you're in a season like that, like knowing it's a temporary thing is a good thing. I remember my first uh, full-time semester in seminary, I, had, I was part of two small groups. I had four master's level classes and I was working 20 hours a week. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And so, I, but I had to like acknowledge like, I'm very fortunate to be working a lot right now because at some point I will not be working and I can kind of like stockpile my money a little bit to get me through those seasons. And so like there's, there's seasons, seasons and rhythms we all enter in. And if you're in that season right now, like it's a temporary thing, that's okay. I also want to acknowledge and be careful that like maybe some like folks are struggling financially with life. You're struggling to pay your bills. You're not sure like where like if you're going to make rent or things like that. And I never want to turn the idea of generosity into legalism. We can so easily do that. I want to be very careful with that. And so the tables for you might be turned and maybe you're at a, a space where you need to be open to the generosity of others. And again, there have been a few key points in my life where like, I'm just like going through this thing and like, I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do after a few weeks. Like I have enough to get me through now, but in a few weeks, I'm not gonna have anything. And like, I am a, I struggle so much for asking for help. And there's been times in my life, I've had to really humble myself and say like, I need help here. And I need to like be okay with accepting the generosity from others. And so, you know, if this is you or you need help or just someone to talk to, or you're just like, just trying to figure it out, like, like, we are a church community, like we love each other, like, like be open to that. Like if you need to talk to someone, talk to me. I'd love to talk with you about that. Uh, talk to someone about like your life, be, going, uh, be, be open to like maybe what the gift of community or what like the gift, the gift of being a good neighbor can look like. And so there's some nuance there with that. So point number one, money is not the end all be all thing and it should not be the sole focus of our lives. Second point I think that I wanna uh, focus in on is that our life is fragile. We are a mist that appears for a bit, and then we're no longer here. I meant to bring like a spray bottle in and kind of use that as an example, but I forgot. So just picture me like spraying it and then the mist kind of just disappears. Uh, none of us know how much time we have left here on this planet. So, so yes, make plans, all that, but also like enjoy life. You know, we should have the spirit of thankfulness and gratitude for the time we have, and then we should also enjoy our lives here. So be in the habit of, of rest, and taking time off for yourself, taking time off for your friends, taking time off for your family, enjoying life. Um, that, and that kind of ties in with the first point, that our purpose here is not just to solely make money. And if that's all we're focused in on, like we're gonna just miss out on this very beautiful created world that God has gifted with us. Like we have this nature and like it's, just, the world is beautiful and like it's so easy for us to miss that. On our deathbeds, none of us are gonna wish like, oh man, I just wish I had clocked a few more hours in at the office. Like, 
No one is going to be wishing that on their deathbed. We're going to be you know, wishing we had spent more time with the people that we love and care about. And so I think another American cultural sin we have here is that of busyness. We're just always busy. We always have something to do. We have all of these distractions. And I think this text here from James can help us to ground us in fighting the busyness and making sure we don't lose sight of what really matters. And so just take time to rest, take time to enjoy life, take time for like spirituality in God. Take time to pray and to read scripture, to listen to the Holy Spirit. Take time for your family. Be present, get off your phone, plan some trips or do something fun if it's been a while. Um, take time for your friends. Actually plan something out. Don't just talk about it. I can't tell you how many times like, I'll just be texting someone like, hey, I miss you, like, we should hang out. And he's, they say the same thing back. And then we just don't do anything. Like, no, we have to put something on the calendar. That's like one of the reasons why I'm trying to intentionally map stuff out with the calendar with the, with the church. Like, we wanna, I wanna visit and make it a priority. So sometimes you just gotta put like skin and bones on the plan. Do it, make time for the people that you love. Take time for yourself. Uh, uh, find patterns of rest and enjoyment. Like, invest in hobbies. Uh, make it a point to say no to things once in a while. It's okay to say no to things. You don't always have to say yes to everything that's asked of you. I think sometimes, especially in Christian subculture, in churches, I, I think we have this fear of saying no. Um, and it's, it's okay to say no to things. I always tell people, like, love for you to do this thing, but I'd much rather you say no than to say yes and resent me for it or be dragging your feet. Or, you know, say yes if, if you want to and put yourself out there, but it's also okay to say no to things. Godly wisdom understands that life is fleeting and it seeks to make the most out of the time that we have here. So don't fall into this trap that you always need to be producing, always need to be busy in order to have a fulfilling life. I'm gonna be very clear about something. Like, God loves us immensely. Christ died for us and the Holy Spirit is here with us regardless of how busy we are or how not busy we are. There's this idol of busyness that our culture celebrates, and we just need to smash that idol. The Israelites, in their Ten Commandments, they had all these laws, and they had like these central Ten Commandments. They had one of them was, that was just about taking Sabbath rest. So they have all these complicated laws, and like don't kill people, but also just take a day off once a week. Like that was an important part of like just their life, and I think that carries in with us today. You know, if your job offers vacation time, like take the vacation time. Um, so your self-worth and your standing before God is not any better or any worse for how, depending on how busy you are. And so to my dear brothers and sisters here, to those on a journey of faith, just kind of trying to figure out what that means for you, let us understand that just outright boasting in our hubris just ends up being a fruitless endeavor. Let us understand that a life of humility is marked by a proper understanding of our place here, a proper understanding of our time here. Let us not believe in the false idols of gaining money simply for the sake of money and for being busy for the sake of being busy. Christ calls us to follow him, pick up our crosses, follow him, to smash our idols, whatever those idols may look like. And so let's not be afraid to be open with our struggles, open with our lives as, as we seek to live out the kingdom here and now with how we view and treat time and money. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.